certainly enjoy the music. I guess Dr. Paul, that's the group you're going to bring over to Korea. Nobody else coming except you. You're invited. Rest of them, you could stay home. Bob, make sure she comes. I want to introduce some of the guests that came with me today. As a two member of our, our church, Central Baptist Church, Mr. Park and Mr. Che, they're here. Then my associate, my assistant over there, and we planned him here in Los Angeles area to contact some Korean community for further ministry. Formal uh, Naval Academy graduate, Navy captain retired as a colonel in the Army rank. He's here with his wife, but his wife didn't come, but he's over there in La Mirada, California, Captain Im. Then several years ago, a girl was on my right side and doing all the secretarial work. When she did work for me, she walked everywhere in Seoul. Since then, she married a medical doctor, moved over here, and she's driving Mercedes-Benz, and I'm still walking. Mrs. Lee, she's here this morning. And you met uh, Mrs. Lee yesterday and Miss Lee yesterday, so I will not introduce them today to you. Psalm 22:27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. Psalm 22:27. Mark in your Bible. Some time ago, Time magazine came out with one of the startling reports that I have ever read. 5,500 years of recorded human history, there has been 14,531 wars been fought in our world. That's 2.6 wars average every year since the recorded human history in 5,000 years or so. Somebody asked the question, how much did it cost to fight those wars? Norwegian computer came out with one of the startling figures that world has ever known, 54 B.C., time of Caesar. They have estimated it cost 75 cents to kill one enemy soldier. During the time of Napoleon, they have estimated it cost $3,000 to kill just one enemy soldier. During the time of First World War, they have estimated it cost $21,000 to kill just one enemy soldier. Second World War, they have estimated it cost $200,000 to kill just one enemy soldier. And they have estimated if there should be mass scale of the World War III, they will estimate it will cost $1 million to kill just one soldier. I didn't believe it either. Until I went to trap. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska, the SAC, Strategic Air Command of the United States Air Force. General Colliday, very good friend, he's taking me around, showing me different airplane. He said, this cost $8 million. This cost $15 million. This plane cost $9 million. He said, I just came back from Vietnam. That's several years back. He said, while I was there one week, Viet Cong shot down nine airplanes. Then he told me, 1968-1969, height of the Vietnam conflict, American government spent every day $80 million a day to fight that war. And if there should be mass scale of the World War III, I have no question believing at least that it will cost $1 million 
to kill just one enemy soldier. Yet Jesus said, Why should a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Why should a man give an exchange for his soul? God put premium on man's soul more than anything else in this world, yet we are prepared to spend one million dollars to kill enemy soldier to protect our nation and protect our wealth and protect our lives and protect the things that we have. But Jesus said, What shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, God put premium on man's soul far more than anything on this world. Yet somehow, we're willing to spend one million dollars to destroy it, yet we are so slow to spend anything to save and give eternal life to those people sitting in the darkness. Every 30 seconds, 15 children die of starvation in our world today. Somebody said, so what? Who cares? Jesus cares. Every, fifth, every year, 15 million children die of starvation in our world. So who cares? Jesus said, I care. Less than 10% of the children receive vaccination in our world today. So what? Who cares? Jesus said, I care. More than 350,000 babies are born every day. That's a full baby to a second. Who cares? Jesus said, I care. While we eat our Sunday dinner of roast beef, baked potatoes, corn, and hot rolls and apple pie, underdeveloped nations, children can't even get a cup of powdered milk for their starving stomach. So who cares? Jesus said, I care. More than 80,000 children in South Asia go blind due to vitamin A sufficiency, a deficiency every day, every year. Cancer costing only 50 cents per year per child can prevent this tragedy. So what? Who cares? Jesus said, I care. More than 50 million people suffer from trichinoma rapidly spreading to tropical Asia and Africa. Person can be completely cured by tetracycline eye ointment costing no more than $5. Who cares? Jesus said, I care. Nearly 20 million people in West Africa suffer from river blindness. Loss of eyesight can be prevented with the years of supply of diethyl tablet costing no more than $4. So what? Who cares? Jesus said, I care. More than 4 million people in India and Pakistan are blind by cataract. Their eyesight can be restored with the surgery costing no more than $20. So what? Who cares? Jesus said, I care. Population is doubling every 35 years. One million babies are born in China every month. In the third world nations, babies are born, hundred babies are born every minute. Twenty babies die before they reach first birthday. Sixty children have no medication help from anybody. And with these things all around about us, and I want to talk to you a few minutes this morning about the dynamics of missions, the dynamics of evangelism. Number one, first dynamic is vision. 
book of Proverbs, we find without vision the people perish. We have to have a first vision of God. I used to pray when I went to school, before I went back to Korea, Oh God, give me a vision for the world. Well, I quit praying like that. I said, Oh God, give me a vision of yourself. I want to see the world through God's eyes. I want to see the world has God's vision because many times my vision has been motivated, has been colored by the magazine stories of some famous preachers or somebody else. But I want to see the world as God sees it. The lost, dying world at whom that Jesus Christ died for. It has to be a personal vision. Isaiah chapter 6 vividly explained to us when Isaiah was motivated by this vision, he said, Here am I, Lord, send me. The vision has to be a personal vision, not your parents' vision. Some of you are here because your parents asked you to come here. Some of you are here because your pastor made you come here. And sometimes our vision is somebody else's vision. And some young lady fall in love with some young fella. And his vision is to go to India as a missionary. And that may not necessarily be her vision. That because she loves him so much and she just want to go over there. Maybe God planned that way. I don't know. What I'm saying today is as Isaiah saw a personal vision. It's not somebody else. It's his vision. As a God revealed to him. And while you're going to school here, you must have a personal vision what God wants you to do. During the Korean War, a young soldier, a fellow named by Carl Powers from Virginia, He had a personal vision to bring a Korean boy to this country, give him a Christian education, and send him back to Korea to be a missionary to his own people. But he wasn't even a Christian himself at that time. But somehow he had urge and he had the vision that he could bring one Korean boy to this country and give him an education, send him back to his own people to, to be a missionary to his own people. So he did. Sent him to Bautzon. Was converted there. Sent him back to his own country. But while this was happening, that little boy, after he was converted, after he was saved, he came back to that soldier's house. One summer, talked to him about the, his relationship with the Jesus Christ. And that soldier, tears are streaming down his cheeks. He said, I've never accepted Christ as my own personal Savior. I like to trust him as my Savior. He became a Christian. Years passed by. I believe it was 1978. My family and I were coming and put our oldest son, who graduated from Korean high school, into American Bible College. We decided to come with him, and rather than coming to Pacific, we went to the other side, to Europe. We stopped at the Holy Land. We want to show our children what the Holy Land is all about. And I asked Carl Powers, who would he join? It was a Christmas time. He said, sure, I will come 
see you there if you would baptize me in the River Jordan. I said, come. On December 24, 1978, Carl Power flew from Virginia to Tel Aviv. I all, my family and I were already there, so we went to Tel Aviv Airport, picked him up. Next day was Christmas Day, 1978. We rented a car. We drove all the way up the Sea of Galilee, right below Sea of Galilee, where the beginning of the Jordan River, there's a deep hole there. I took him, the fellow who has such responsible for me to come to this country, fellow who paid my way through school, high school and college and university, fellow who sent me money for the paper and a textbook and the notebooks and white shirts and necktie and suits and clothing and shoes and underclothes. For eight and a half years, he paid my way through school and sent me back to Korea. There we met on that little mouth of the Jordan River, right on the Sea of Galilee. I was ready to baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Our youngest son, Johnny, he's a second year at Bible College now. He said, Daddy, I've never been baptized. I'd like to be baptized with Uncle Carl. I said, come on in. If you know Christ as your own personal Savior, why not? So he jumped in. There two fellows stood, and my wife and daughter and our oldest son was watching from that little bank, and I had the privilege of baptizing the fellow who was responsible to bring me to this country. And let me find Christ as my own personal Savior and give him an education, pay all the way through school, send me back to Korea to become a missionary to my own people. There we met at the river of Jordan River. As I put him under the water, and as he came back up, I can remember long ago when Jesus was baptized somewhere there in the Jordan River. And the Holy Spirit descended. And that was a moving experience for our family we will never forget. The soldier who was responsible for me to come to this country, get a Christian education, send me back. Some 25 years later or so, we met together in the River Jordan in Israel. Man cannot plan such a way. It's a God's plan. Because he had a vision. There's a, so many Korean boys joined the Korean War. Many, many of them. They're homeless and their mothers and fathers been killed by the bomb, by the war. Yet he singled out one young man, one young boy, and brought him into this country, gave him an education. He never realized, I'm going to go back to Korea, be a preacher, be a missionary or whatever. But he had a vision. And he followed that vision. And that vision was materialized in literally hundreds and thousands. Korean people have come to trust Christ simply because of that young soldier went beyond the call of duty of his country, be friend to a little Korean boy. God is going to bring people to your path. And if you could just stop and realize the few moments and be friend, a kind word, a kind deed, to that particular person may well be another fellow like Billy Kim and will go back to his own people and tell them about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It has to be a personal vision. Second, it has to be purified vision. Isaiah 6.2, the seraphim hit their face. We must not tangle by the world. We must be separated from the world. We must come out from the world. And we must have a purified vision. Not 
motivated by any worldly gain, the material gain, the fame. Some people go mission field just out of excitement. They're not going to last too long because it's a human mosquito, snake. One of the churches has a missionary conference, and the ladies group wanted to have a meeting with this returned missionary lady, the wife of one of the leading missionaries. So when the meeting was over, they had some question and answer period, and one of the ladies asked this missionary, said, aren't you anxious to get back to mission field? She said, no. That kind of shocked the ladies there. Then she went on to say, the reason I don't want to go back, she said, I have three children. This furlough, we're leaving all of them here in the United States. She and her husband's going to go back alone, back to the mission field. She said, it's a human. He said, there's a lot of disease there, a lot of mosquitoes, there's a lot of snakes, there's no running water, there's no washing machine, there's an electric stove. I don't want to go back. For fear, who's going to feed my children? Who's going to do their laundries and, and wonder whether they're doing okay or not as a mother? She said, I don't want to go back, but I have no other choice. I have mandate. Jesus said, you go. She said, I have to go. Our vision has to be so purified by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, the excitement of the mission field won't last for six months. And when the seraphim hit the face of Isaiah, the method of a purifying his vision so he could be clearly be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Third, it has to be a powerful vision. Isaiah 6, 4. And the post of the door moved. That vision was a, such a powerful vision. Door post moved and was shaken. If you would come to Korea, there's a little cemetery built for missionaries. If you go into that cemetery, there's a tombstone Ordinary tombstone, but inscribe that missionary's tombstone. He died there, serving God. It says, if I had a thousand lives to give, I would give them all to Korea. That's what he says on a tombstone. If I had a thousand lives to give, he said, I will give all to Korea. No wonder, because of that spirit of a missionary, we only have 100 years of a mission history, you know how fast Korean churches have grown? 1955, we only had about 4,000 churches with less than a million Christians. Ten years later, 1965, that doubled. About 8,000 churches with 2 million Christians. Ten years later, in 1975, that doubled again with about 16,000 churches, over 4 million Christians. 1985, last year, it doubled again. Over 32,000 churches with a 10 million Christians. Simply because we had the missionary who has such a powerful vision that doorpost moved and he died there serving God there. He said, if I had a thousand lives, I will give all to Korea. And 
And Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Last year, America spent for patent dog food alone $60 million. You spend annually anti-acid. I guess that's like a thumb, thumb, or whatever. $780 million. Last year, your country spent deodorant, you know, like a right guard or left guard or whatever that you use. $960 million worth. One hundred million people annually attend the dog and horse races in this country. They bet fourteen billion dollars. The President of the United States, last year budget, he asked for nine hundred and seventy three point seven billion dollars. You know how much money that is? If you would spend $30 million a year, it would take you over 3,000 years to spend all that money. A lot of money. I'm not saying he shouldn't spend or he should spend more, but I just want to put focal point when Jesus said, What shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We are spending that much money. But what about the evangelization? What about the mission? And our vision has to be so powerful that nothing will hinder us from, nothing will remove us from the things that God wants us to do. And someone said, every heart with Christ is a missionary and every heart without Christ is a mission field. You don't necessarily have to go all the way to overseas to become a missionary. Right here in Los Angeles area, you could be a missionary. The second dynamic is, I believe, is a sacrifice. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Somebody feel the sacrifice is just giving ice cream up during the Lent season. Somebody thinks just giving up a drink of coffee is a sacrifice. I have no trouble giving up coffee because I don't drink that stuff. I have no trouble giving up ice cream. I can live without it. But I believe last time when the university met over there at University of Illinois somewhere, the mammoth meeting there, Urbana, they skipped one lunch and give that money to hunger in Africa and those college students collected $50,000. They just skipped one lunch. They take up an offering that week to help out the literature ministry of the international students. They collected $230,000 in one week among the college students that attended the Albana conference. Boy, if Master's College could be motivated do something like that in a small scale. I wonder what God could do with this college. The sacrifice. 
Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. That's sacrifice. Paul says, I die daily. That's a sacrifice. United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization estimated that over 460 million people are severely undernourished. Another billion suffer from varying degrees of malnutrition. At least 10,000 people die from hunger-related causes. The story has been related to me about the sacrifice. A 13-year-old teenage girl. Somebody witnessed to her, received Christ. She was so happy she went to the church, learned all those songs. Like what we sing, Amazing Grace, Jesus Loves Me, this I know. As she was coming back from the church to her home, her father saw her and said, Where you been? I said, I've been to church. He said, We don't believe in Christianity. We are Buddhists. I don't want you to go back to church. But next Sunday morning came around when the church bell began to ring. She couldn't wait to go back to church and, and she slept away and she went back to church. She learned some more songs and I was just so happy. She, without knowing, she coming home and she began to sing and Father was waiting. So you disobey. We don't believe in Christianity. We have different religion. And he took his leather belt from his and began to whip her across her legs. The skin broke open and the blood began to trickle down. She ran into her room, began to cry and began to pray. All of a sudden she went into coma. Mother was so scared for fear she might die. Got the doctors and tried to bring fever down to no avail. One day gone by, two days gone by, three days gone by. She finally woke up and she said, Mommy, did you wash the skirt that I wore to Sunday school last Sunday? She said, no, I didn't have time to do it. She said, I want you to bring that skirt. When mother brought the skirt, saw the blood stain in her skirt where her father beat her and the skin broke open. The blood came and was and smear in her skirt. She looked at the blood stained skirt for a few minutes and she took that near to her heart. She said, mommy... Jesus shed blood for me. I'm going to tell him I too have shed my blood for him. And she closed her eyes and died. You know, that's the first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She was willing to sacrifice for her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Western nations have by far the greatest financial potential for missions involvement. America has least over 50% of the resources. One believer who made sure that maintain a proper spiritual prospect was a merchant in Calcutta, India. He had just given a check for $150 to a secretary of a missionary society when a cablegram was handed to him. Reading it, he turned to the man and said, I've been informed that one of my ships has just been wrecked and the cargo lost. That will make a difference in my business affairs, he said. I shall have to write you another check. 
The missionary representative said, oh, I understand, and he handed him back the check. Merchant carried that check, wrote him a second check, and gave it to the secretary. When secretary saw it, he was amazed to see that the amount was a $600 instead of $150. The missionary representative said, haven't you made a mistake, he asked. The merchant said, no, I haven't. With the tears in his eyes, he added, that cablegram was like a message from my father in heaven that reads, lay not up for yourselves the treasures upon the earth. He began to realize and learn the lesson, what it means to sacrifice. And unless a sacrifice in your part of life, my part of life, we cannot fulfill the great commission in this generation. We have to sacrifice a life, a means, time, a talent, whatever God has given to us, there must be a sacrifice able to accomplish the world mission and world evangelization. I believe when Peter Marshall said, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. When we go to college, you know, we are very Worry about our budget and going through next week, next month. Luke 6.38 says, And give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And the third dynamic submission, I believe it's involvement. Paul was involved with the Timothy. He wrote ten chapters. He instructed his young Timothy. He said, without ceasing, I have to pray for you day and night. He said, like a good soldier, do not entangle yourself with the world. He said, flee youthful lust. Study to show thyself approved unto God. And he said, preach the word. Be instant season, out of season. He was vitally involved with the young Timothy. High-rise apartment, city of New York. 17-year-old girl was a staff to death. 21 people saw what had happened. Nobody did anything about it. When the criminal was caught, was brought into trial, they brought those 21 witnesses. Judge asked him a question. Why didn't you do anything about it? Why didn't you do anything about it? Why didn't you stop? You know, every one of those 21 witnesses said, because I didn't want to get involved. I wonder that's true to some of us today. We don't want to get involved in the mission, the world evangelization, or whatever God has entrusted to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. On January 21, 1930, the most far-reaching radio broadcast ever heard in the world up until that time, King George was to deliver a message at the opening session. To listen, the plea that Jacob was a pleading. And I want you to notice verse 9 also. And I want you to know how smart he is. Verse 9, he said, Lord, you said... Jacob corners God with his promise. 
Verse 12, again, he said, And you said, I will surely do thee good. I will deal well with thee. He remember all those promises that God the Father made to him. He doesn't remember about his promise that he made at the Bethel. That I give you one-tenth of all the things that you give me. He forgot about that. You know, he never tied. Now he's reminding the promise of God. All my children are good at that. So, Daddy, you promised me this. You know, daddies forget so easily. I don't know when I promised them, but they remember. My youngest boy said, Daddy, you said, when I graduate from high school, you're going to get me a car. I don't remember. I really don't remember promising. And my wife said, yeah, you promised him. I thought I promised. Maybe I, I, but, you know, my judgment tells me he doesn't need a car. That's my thinking. But he said, you promise that my ground is very weak. Now, he's a sophomore in the college now. So finally, I told my daughter, who was going to graduate school, would you mind giving your car to your brother Johnny? She said, okay. And I make it up to you when you come to Korea. Sometimes we as a human being, we forget the promise we made to our children, to friends. But God never forgets his promise. He always keeps his promise to you and I. Though we don't live according to his own will, though we don't do things that we should do, God always holds his promise. And when you claim that promise... Like a Jacob did here, but you remember he wrestled with angel of the Lord all night. You have to have that experience before you could claim the promise of God. He said, you said, I will de deal well with thee. Again, verse 12, he said, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Spurgeon said prayer should be pillowed on promises and pinnacle with the praises. And Jacob knew that. Now, verse 10, I want you to notice that Jacob's prayer was prayer of confession. I am not worthy, he said. That's where you and I have to come from if we're going to claim the promise of God. Say, Lord, I am not worthy. So many times I see young people, they think we're all owes them. Some of the young people think parents owes them everything. Nobody owes you and I anything, let alone God owes you anything. But he confesses, I'm not worthy of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love. I'm not worthy. And Jacob, in his life, for the first time he realized he wasn't worthy to receive any kind of blessings from God Almighty. Is that American people worthy to receive all these blessings from God Almighty? That you are better than the other race in other part of the world who are suffering? The 
Jacob realized, he said, I'm not worthy. And I want you to notice, to continue on, Jacob's prayers are perfumed with the praises in verse 10. With my staff, I pass over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. When I came over, he said, I had nothing but one stick. But now I got, he said, two bands. In other words, two families. With all the cattle and with all the sheep. God has abundantly blessed materially. Then notice verse 11. Jacob's prayer was definite and personal and was answered. He said, simply deliver me. And God did just that. I believe what we need today. And as the dark days lie ahead. The threat of the nuclear war. Seemingly there's no great world leaders to tell us this is the way. I believe we as Christians. We must pray. Pray such. That God can turn around this nation if a Christian people together. Again, Second Chronicles 7:14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. In times like this, I believe we need a people with a compassionate heart. Because love covers multitudes of sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Faith, hope, and love. We have these three, but the greatest is love. And Jesus told us and God taught us, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. If you lay down your life for your friend, there's no greater love. If you love one another... That all men shall know you that you're my disciples. That's the mark of a great disciple if we love one another. Somehow we come into the place of 21st century. The secularism has gone into deep, into our subconscious. We don't even know it. The television, the newspaper, the whole thing. The secularism just creeping in and creeping in. And what that does to us, number one, me. Nobody else. I don't care. Whether the world's dying without Christ, whether the children's die of starvation, I don't care. And that's the attitude has been permeated the last few years. There's a young American missionary nurse graduated from one of the finest nursing schools in Midwestern states, came over to Korea as a missionary nurse. She was working with the leper colony with the leper children. One time the American tour group came and they wanted to see the leper colony. So the travel agent made the arrangement, the air-conditioned bus, and they drove down at the leper village and they filed out of that bus. And everybody had two or three cameras and they were taking pictures right and left because everything's so fascinating. Some of them never saw the lepers. That American nurse was looking after leper children. You see, when you contracted the disease of the leprosy, the nerve system dies. Your finger drops off. You don't even know it. Your nose deforms. You don't even know it. 
Sometimes the sore will run and they have to wipe it off and clean it off. And that American missionary nurse who was looking after those little leper children, wiping it off with sores. And when that American tourist came, one of the men saw what she was doing. He was fascinated. He went over there, focused his camera and ready to take picture of what she was doing. And when he saw that horrible sight of that little girl's hand, he whispered to himself, he said, I wouldn't touch that for a million dollars. Young American missionary nurse overheard it. She slowly raised her head and with a great big smile, she said, Sir, neither would I. That kind of shocked him. He asked a second question. Why do you do that? She said, Because the love of Christ constrains me to do so. He never took another picture. He went back up on the bus. Came, wait for the people to come back. I have no trouble believing that he came back to this country a changed man. Whenever you do work for the Lord Jesus Christ, there must be motivating, constraining force, the love of Jesus Christ. Mary broke the alabaster bottle, put the perfume, and wiped with her hair. I want you to think about that. It was the most priceless position that she had. Not cheap. And she broke the bottle. I often wonder why. Some of those perfume bottles so beautiful. When I left home, I asked my wife, Trudy. I said, what do you want me to bring this time? You know, she wanted me to bring some little thing when I, you know, even just a little teaspoon of a memento or something. She said, I want you to buy me a little bottle of a perfume. What brand? G-I-O, G-R-G-I-O, something like that. Gorgorio or Gorgio, I don't know. It says Beverly Hills, so it must be somewhere around here. That bottle is so beautiful, I like the bottle better than what's inside. So I like to save some of those perfume bottles. I could imagine she could pour that things without breaking it and save that bottle in her manastral or somewhere in a dresser, reminder to her that she gave what she had in there. Constant reminder. But the Lord taught us, once you give to the Lord, forget about it. Don't remember. Let God keep the record. Don't you go around and say, oh, I give money to build this auditorium. Oh, I did this for God. I did that for God. Forget it. God would keep the record. I believe that's why she broke that bottle and poured out what was inside the content and threw away the bottle. She never remember what she did for the Lord because God keeps the record. And somehow, whatever we do, the devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it ought to be a constraining force, the love of Jesus Christ, that our love was so manifest and, and our love is so great. Whatever we do, that force, that love must make us go out on Hollywood Boulevard and pass our tracks and witness to those people. Not because I used to go out extension. We call it extension. We have to pass out 100 tracks or so and we have to, have to witness to so many people and the preacher boys and we have to make a report every week. And it becomes a routine. It becomes a habit. Not the straining force, the love of Jesus Christ, enforce us to go highways and hedges to tell those people about the Jesus Christ. 
I've seen so many missionaries go to the mission field without that love and they don't last the first term they come home because they cannot take the heat. They cannot take the mosquitoes. They cannot take some wild snakes. They cannot take some of the dirty, filthy, unsanitation conditions in the mission field. But if you have that constraining force, the love of Jesus Christ, nothing matters. And the love of Jesus Christ must constrain your studies, your witness, your prayer life. Finally, I believe in times like this where young people are purposed in their heart. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he will not drink a king's wine, he will not eat king's meat. He was determined, he had a conviction, he will not do it. Now, I want you to know his position. He was a POW. He's a prisoner of war in the Babylonian camp. He's supposed to do whatever his captor tell him to do, but he, did, he was determined he will not drink, he will not eat king's meat, and he purposed in his heart how we need the people like that today. Let me just conclude with an illustration happened in our country. There was a young mother about two or three children. She purposed in her heart that she will give everything she can to build her country church where she was going. They took up an offering. They pulled the foundation. They took up one more offering. They put the wall, but they didn't have enough money to put roof over that building. People have given sacrificially everything that they had. Finally, this lady decide to sell one of her eyes to give money to finish the building and putting the roof over. She went to the hospital. She saw the doctor. She said, I'd like to sell one of my eyes. Doctor said, the reason why? She said, don't ask me the reason. I just want to do it. Unless you give me the reason, we will not buy your eyes. And finally, she told the reason. I said, our churches, we pull the foundation, we build the wall, and we need to roof over our church building. I like to sell one of my eyes and, and give it to the church so we could finish the building. Doctor was so moved. He said, okay, you come back Thursday, 10 o'clock. We will have operation. She went back, came back on Thursday. Meantime, he called his medical doctor friends in Seoul. The Severance Hospital, started by Presbyterian Mission, talked to somebody said, classmates of doctors. He said, yeah, this lady come. She want to build a church. She want to sell her eyes. What do you think I ought to do? And several of his doctor friends don't do it. We'll send you enough money to finish up that church building. So they send the money to him. But he want to have a little fun before he give that money to that lady. So when Thursday morning came, 10 o'clock, he got his nurses ready, operating rooms ready. He got his gown on, everything ready for operation. But he took his time. And the moment by moment, she got so anxious that she told doctor, I said, doctor, before I change my mind, please take my eyes out. And finally, he thought he had enough. said, okay, everything's all over. She said, what do you mean everything's all over? I said, we already got your eyes, don't worry about it. And he told the story. I said, I called my friends and they sent enough money for you to finish your church and gave her the money. And she wept. She went back and gave it 
Manit the pastor, and they finished the church. When they were dedicating that church, she walked over there to that hospital again. He said, our church is going to be dedicated next Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock. I want you to come as my guest. We're going to have some rice cake and something to drink. So he, doctor, thought, well, I want to see what kind of church they build. He went over there during the dedication service. Naturally, pastor mentioned about the incident and how they was able to complete the church. The determination of one lady that who purposed in her heart was able to complete the church. And that sermon, that story moved this doctor's heart so much that afternoon because in the back in the college days when he was going to medical school, he attended chapel like this, but he drifted away. He made the new commitment to trust Jesus Christ and became an elder in that church later. You see, when a person determined purpose in their heart, they could do impossible things with the help of God. You are here because God sent you. You're not here by accident. Sometimes you think your parents have sent you over here, but I believe God had planned for every one of you. I didn't know I was going Bob Jones. I didn't know what kind of school that was when I left home back in during the Korean War time. But God had a plan. And so when I came there, they would put me in ninth grade because they didn't know what grade they ought to put me because all my records burned out during the Korean War because they bombed my school. That's the best thing ever happened. They bombed my school. All my school records burned. I didn't have any school records. They said, what grade were you in over there? I said, I started 10th grade when the war broke out. He said, well, then we put you in the ninth grade. See whether you could get catch up with them. I didn't know, but God had planned. I want to study politics and go back to Korea, become a politician. My aim and goal was to become an agriculture minister, cabinet member. But God had another plan. Called me into ministry. Finished high school. Went to the university to prepare for the ministry and gone back to Korea. God has blessed. Never one moment that I was ever regret. I've seen literally hundreds and thousands of people have changed when they trust Christ as their own personal Savior. If God be for us, who can be against us? Shall we pray? You are in a great institution. You are amongst the friends. You, an individual, make a difference in your community, in your country, perhaps the world, if you purpose in your heart. If your motivating force is the love of Jesus Christ, and if you pray, Father, seal that commitment to our hearts. Help us to live life that be pleasing to you in order that you may be able to use us in your service. In his name I pray. Amen.